So good, so good. Here's one of the challenges of being a Christian. I've been walking with Jesus a long time, and here's one of the things I've realized is one of the hardest things for me, and I think for most people. We hear stories like this, we read stories like this, they're inspiring to us, but they're really epic. I mean, fiery furnaces and kingdoms and exile from one nation to another, and we're going to see a lion about to devour Daniel, and all these big, amazing stories that really happened in real time and real history. But here's the challenge. For most of us, we're not going to have big, dramatic experiences and challenges like that. And so our job is to believe that the God of the universe who created everything is with us and for us and working out his plan in history. And he wants to work that plan out in each and every one of our lives, mostly in really mundane ways. That's the challenge, to take these massive ideas that we often see portrayed in really dramatic events in the Bible and translate that, move that into daily life in another day of high school. Or another day with your family that brings its own challenges. Or another day on the team you may be on. Or the peer group you run with. And the question will be, will you be willing to faithfully follow Jesus and his ways, whatever that means? It's probably unlikely any of you are going to be facing a fiery furnace if you follow Jesus faithfully. But what you will face is the scorn of friends when you won't laugh at their jokes that shouldn't be laughed at from God's perspective. When you won't go along with a, a subculture you're part of and you're going to stick out and be weird in the sight of people. When you just won't go along with the rampant cheating that I read about is going on in school all the time. Do you realize how different you can be if you just decide not to cheat? If you just decide not to text your friends and say, hey, did you do the homework? Send me the answers, would you? Man, I, I read it scary, even among Christian students, how much cheating happens. I mean, do you want to be different? I hope you do. I hope you don't want to be one of those jellyfish that just goes along with the tide. I hope you want to be different. Because when you're different in the way you live, in what you laugh at and what you don't laugh at, when you're different in the way you do everything in your life because you're answering to the one who made you and the one who saved you, by sending his son to live and die and rise for you, when he calls the shots in your life, you are going to be different. It's not that hard. Do you know what the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians? He says, I want you to be different. I want you to be so different that you shine like stars in a dark world. And do you know what he said, among other things, that he wanted them to do so they were like that? He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. We're a nation of whiners, you know that? We are. We're, we're consumers. We, we're always being told we're not getting what we deserve. But the fact is, we should thank God we're not getting what we deserve. If we've trusted Christ, you know, I get credit card companies sending me things almost every day, wanting me to open another credit card so I can buy that boat they're telling me I should have. It's just amazing. 
And they always say things like, you're not getting what you deserve. And before I rip it up and throw it out, I usually will whisper a prayer, something like, Lord, thank you that I'm not getting what I deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. And instead, I have grace and love and forgiveness in Christ. And so our job is to hear these stories and be inspired by them, but then ask God in each and every one of our lives what it means to work this out in the daily. Yeah? It's going to look different for you than for somebody else. It'll look fundamentally the same in a life of obedience, following God and holiness, but it'll look different too. You know, I, I did staff training for Forest Home Camp a couple of weeks ago, and on my way home, I wanted a cup of coffee, and I didn't want to go to Starbucks. And I, I, I love privately owned businesses, and I saw this little store that said Heska's Sugar Shack there in Redlands. It looked like somebody, it was a homemade sign. It was beautiful. So I pulled in. Those are the kind of places I like. And I went in, and I met this lady. And I ordered. I said, man, this food looks so good. Did you make it all? It all looked homemade. And she said, oh, yeah, I make everything from scratch. And I said, that's amazing. She said, you know, God has blessed me so much. She had no idea who I was. She says, God has blessed me so much. I just love him because he's been so good to me that I, I want to make good food for people as a way of thanking him. I said, are you a Christian? And she said, I am. And I said, so am I. And she said, oh, isn't Jesus good? This lady has this little coffee shop, and she makes pastries and great sandwiches, and she's a minister of the gospel. She boldly proclaims Christ when she doesn't even know somebody's a Christian. I love that lady. We had a great conversation, this sister in Christ. She said, you know, when I came here from Korea, when I was 12 years old, I, people seem to love Jesus more than they do now. This country's really different than it was. It's not as easy to be one of his anymore. It's just amazing to talk to her. I went back to Forest Home to speak last week at family camp, and I said to all the families at family camp, you know, on your way home, why don't you stop and see Heska? I don't think she had any food left by the end of the day. It was amazing. I came in, and she was crying, and she said, all these people are coming in telling me that somebody told them to come here because I'm, I'm a gospel minister. I don't have any food left. She didn't have any food left. It was amazing. You see, this lady owns this coffee shop, and she is a bold witness for Jesus in, in just simple, natural, grateful ways. You see, Heska's not being threatened with a fiery furnace or a lion's den, but she is inviting criticism. She said, more and more people tell me I shouldn't talk like this. And so what's that going to look like for you in your life? Well, we continue this incredible story. If you'd open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, we should all be getting there pretty quickly these days, right? After being in here for three days now. Daniel chapter 2 continues our story. I'm going to summarize what's going on. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground tonight. And so Daniel chapter 2 continues this story of Daniel and his friends in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, as the video tried to show us. He has a dream that he doesn't understand. 
and he wants help understanding it because it terrifies him. So as we go to the word, let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that the spirit that inspired it is working, illumining our minds and transforming our hearts right now. And Lord, you're so faithful to use your word. You're so kind to give us your word. And Lord, we pray now we would be attentive to it. I, I know weariness is probably setting in for some distraction for others. Lord, please help us all to be locked into what you have for us tonight. We'll never do this again quite like this. So Lord, help us now as we go to your word to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He wants to understand what the dream means, who he calls the wise men, the, the magicians of the day to interpret this dream for him. And none of them are able to. And they say, no one can do this. No one is able to do this. And he gets so angry because no one can help him understand this dream that he says, kill all the wise men. Kill all these people who are supposed to be helpful and they're not helpful to me. So he sends out a decree to kill the wise men in the land, which includes Daniel and his friends. And word comes to Daniel that this is happening, and here's where we pick the story up. In chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with, Prudence and discretion. I love that. This guy, it, it, prudence means you govern yourself according to reason and wisdom. You don't let your emotions drive everything. You don't just do what you feel like at the moment. You understand how the world works. You understand people. And so with discretion, he's, he's able to understand what's going on and people and motivations and, and realities. He's a wise man. He has the right motives and the right goals and the right ways of getting to those goals. And so, so he, he operates with prudence and discernment here and discretion and he goes to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. Here he, he continues work within the system. He's in the system. He's not compromising. He's in the world, but not of the world. And he, he works again. He goes to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Can I get an appointment with the king? He's, he's attained that level of access to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, arguably the greatest leader of the world, Daniel had functioned in a way in the society without compromising his integrity or his convictions where he can get an audience with the king. And he does. And again, he's working within the system as much as he's able to. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. They're Hebrew names. I just love that line in the film when he gives her a place of prominence in the kingdom. And he calls her by this name, Driftwood, he gives her. And she says, my name is Darlene, but thank you. That's just beautiful. Darlene is this representative of Daniel, and he goes and tells his friends. He's, again, taking the lead here, and told them to seek mercy 
from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. So they go to the Lord. Just as the videos keep showing, they they go to him. Whether they have the radio or they don't have the radio, they have an awareness that even though he seems absent, he can hear them and he's with them and they get that message back in this clip tonight that they're not alone. He is with them indeed. He gives them assurance. He reassures them they're not alone in this. And so they go to him and he, he, he goes to his friends. He encourages them to go to God with this crisis. Where do you go when you're in crisis? Where do you go when things fall apart? You go to social media? That's a deadly place to go. Do you go to friends? That might be a helpful place to go. But where do those friends lead you? Do you go to just what people in general say is the source you should go to? Where do you go? What do you do? You've got to go to God. He's the only one who has ultimate wisdom and will ultimately help you. We've got to be God-word in our lives. And when we're in crisis, it should be no exception. And so Daniel encourages them to do this. And then what does he do? He praises God. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, so he understands what the dream's about. Of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So he goes to God. God gives him insight into this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he praises God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what, you, what we asked of you, for you've made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Is that beautiful? He understands what happens. And so the king gives him an audience. He understands this dream that he has. And he tells him, look, you, you saw this image, and it had a gold head, it had a, a silver midsection and a bronze middle section, and it had feet made partly of precious metal, but partly of clay. And you need to understand what this means. It's, it's about nations, and he interprets the dream for him. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. He's making himself look better than he actually was. Daniel went to him. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream I've seen in its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king this mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven. See where he's given the credit? There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in your bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have 
more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And here he tells him what happened. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle of thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron and partly clay. So there's a weakness in the foundation. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and all the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. So he goes on to tell the king that his kingdom will be dominant for a time. But eventually, it's going to be taken out by this stone that will crush that kingdom and all other kingdoms and fill the earth. We'll get back to that. And so he, he's not quite sure about the interpretation of the dream. He likes the prominence and the power that this dream and this image indicates about him and his kingdom. And Daniel gets promoted. He's promoted to high positions. And he, Daniel then takes the lead again and asks if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have a promotion as well. And now they're moving up within the system. And Nebuchadnezzar's golden image becomes this very important thing to him, and he likes it. And so he makes an image. And we're not sure exactly what the image is of. It could be Nebuchadnezzar, but I don't think so. That's not how they really rolled in, in um, Babylon. Kings weren't deified like they were in Greco-Roman religions. Kings didn't attain God status, but they had lots of gods. And so this was probably a collection of God that looked something like this image in the dream. The size of the Statue of Liberty, massive statue. And everybody had to bow down before it. Now, what's interesting about this is it's highly unlikely they were requiring these Jewish exiles to deny Yahweh, their God. You see, these people were quite happy to let you worship whatever God you wanted. And, and this image was probably a representation of whatever God. But see, that's not how the, the people thought who knew the God of the Bible. Because there's one God, and he's supreme, and he's the master of all gods. And every other so-called God is just that, a so-called God. It's not real God. And like we said last night, the prophet comes along and he says, all the idols of the people are worthless. They don't give you life. They don't give you what you need in life. And so worship the one true God and follow him and his ways. And so there are four things that go on here that, that I want us to realize. They pray. When they're in crisis, when they're in persecution, they pray. Wasn't that beautiful? In verses 17 and 18, Daniel calls upon the Lord in prayer, and he calls his friends to pray with him and go to God, and God answers the prayer and gives him a life-saving insight into what the meaning of the dream is. And what do they then do when God provides? They praise him. They worship him. God doesn't just provide so that we're safe. He provides so that we praise. So they pray. And we need to be people who pray. Prayer shows your dependence on God. 
You know, sometimes I wonder if prayer more than anything else shows your trust in God, your faith in God. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. Prayer is the hardest thing for me as a Christian. I'm really impatient. I really have a hard time just settling and focusing on God and communing with him. Now, I have a prayer life, and I'm committed to be a man of prayer. But I want you to know it's work for me, and maybe it is for some of you too. I bet it is for a lot of you. Prayer is hard work, and I think we should have continual prayer throughout our day where we talk to him about things. We're going to have a conversation. We bring it to God and say, Lord, help me with this tough relationship I have right now. And Lord, help me in this situation and help me to overcome this temptation and help me to be a good steward of my, my work today. You know, my son Isaac, you have you back there still, I? My son Isaac, Isaac is a worker, man. I, he's working in the Pondy Kitchen. He worked in Hume SoCal last summer. He's a worker. I, I never meet somebody who knows Isaac, who's worked with him, who doesn't say, he's one of the best workers I've ever known. <laughs> one guy said to me, I wish I had 10 Isaacs. Just amazing. Way to go, boy. So he works hard, yeah. And you, you think, you think that's, that's just a, maybe a, a good thing, but... It's so important that we show people that we're hard workers, that, that we, we work in a way that honors God, right? I would not send people to visit Heska if her pastries were nasty, her coffee was bad, right? You see, we got to back up our witness with our work. You know, laziness is actually one of the ancient seven deadly sins. Like I said last night, apathy's cool, and the line between apathy and laziness is a very small line. And so just working hard. You see, these guys would not have attained even the access to the king that they did if they weren't doing a good job at what they had been entrusted with. We need to back up our witness with our ways, with our lives. And, and these guys pray, and, and so we got to commit to prayer. We need to, uh, to do this. And so... That means I have to commit to it even when it's not easy for me. Here's why I think prayer is so hard. Look, gathering like this and singing, that feels good, doesn't it? Even if you don't know God, it feels good. Music is a gift. You benefit from it, right? Just being together with people like we are this week, that, that's a good thing. We're created as social creatures. You know, even though in the Bible, it's hard to even say you're remotely educated if you don't understand the Bible somewhat, even if you don't think it's God's word. You can't understand Western culture, Western literature without understanding the Bible. So there's great benefit in knowing the Bible. So you can do a lot of things that Christians do that doesn't really require faith. But on your knees in a room, if God isn't real, talking to the ceiling, that's really stupid. Right? And so it tests your faith. And these guys prayed. They didn't go to strategy like the video said. I'm going to figure this out. They go to God. They say, Lord, we need you. We can't solve this problem. And I love how Daniel keeps making sure God gets the credit. Man, you think about how he could have gotten off on riding this train of, of finding his prominence and his importance and his significance from what God enabled him to do. But he keeps deflecting the glory, doesn't it? That's what we're supposed to do, be glory deflectors. We should never be cul-de-sacs of the glory of God. We should, we should deflect it to him. We should redirect it to him. It doesn't mean you can't say thank you when, God, when somebody expresses gratitude for something you did. But at least in your heart say, God is good. 
And, and hopefully in your words, you redirect that. And that's what he keeps doing here. And they praise God in verses 20 through 23 of chapter 2. But here's something I want you to notice too. So they pray, they praise, and Daniel's a pioneer. You know what a pioneer does? A pioneer sets a trail. He, he goes out in front. He's a leader. Please, we need leaders desperately, people. We got too many followers. We got too many weak-willed people who are just waiting for someone else to step up and lead. And, you know, I want to talk to you guys in particular. I don't know if you realize this, but women in our society are excelling beyond men in every category these days. Yeah, and it's great for the ladies. And ladies, I'm glad you're proud of yourselves, and I'm proud of you too. But I hope you don't want a bunch of weak men in our society, right? Right? So guys, guys, especially you guys, be different. Don't be a slacker who's satisfied with playing video games 30 hours a week. Look, you know... You know, people, people are getting married later and later because people are immature later and later. Be different in that way. Just grow up a lot sooner than most people are these days. And Because how are you going to be a leader? How are you going to make a difference? Don't you love how it says Daniel resolved in chapter 1. Daniel resolved not to eat that food and compromise his convictions. And his friends obviously followed him. Daniel finds out this is happening. He goes to these guys, and he says, here's what's going down. Pray with me. Praise with me. And he's a pioneer in that way. We need more leaders. We need more leaders. Let me just give you one example. Some of you may have seen my son walk around. He's working grounds here this weekend. Sam's a great kid. I love my boy. And he, he was, you know, he's going through junior high and freshman year. And I, I was always saying to what I say to all my kids, I say, come on. Be a leader. I'll say, he'll come back from hanging out with his friends, and I'll watch his friends, you know, and they're like, and they just, they just talk to each other and make fun of each other, and they talk. And I say, do you guys talk about anything important? Do you guys talk about anything meaningful? Did you ask your friends how they're doing in their relationships with Jesus? Did you, did you tell your friends what you're learning in the Bible? Did you ask them what they're learning in the Bible? Did you ask them how you could pray for them? And, and for a long time, I was like, Dad, come on. None of my friends do that. Yeah, we're all Christians, but you know, none of us do that. You know how hard it is to be the one who steps out and takes things in that direction? I say, I do know how hard it is, but do you really want to go through life just going with the flow? And he just kept saying, you just understand that. You don't understand how hard it is. His sophomore year, the Spirit of God moved into him, and he said, I need to be a leader. And here's how he did it. Couldn't have been more simple. He went to one of his friends who he was pretty confident was going to respond well. And he said, hey, Sam. He's a kid's name, Sam, too. He said, hey, Sam, you want to just get together a half hour before school starts at a coffee shop and just read the Bible together and talk for a little bit about what we're learning in it? And his friend said, yes, I would love that. And they started to meet. And Sam wanted to sort of keep it quiet. He, he was a little embarrassed. And then people started to find out because his friend was telling him. And he was wondering what the response was going to be. You wouldn't believe how overwhelmingly positive it was. His friends were saying, Sam, I, I'd really admire 
that you initiated this. Thanks for doing that. Can I get in that too? It, it was totally positive. His friends were all waiting around for one guy to just step out in simple confidence and be a leader. And it, and, and it just grew. And it was beautiful to see the simplicity of that initiative. And he loved it. And it was good for his soul. And it was a good example. His best friend wrote him a letter a few months after that. And he said, I, I've never told you this, but I look up to you. And when you just stuck your neck out and sort of broke the way things were and just got together to read the Bible, it was a great example to me and it encouraged me as a young man of God. Isn't that amazing? We're all sitting around, right, waiting for somebody else to take the lead. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? It, it's not comp That's what I mean. That's what I mean about translating kingdom realities into a half hour at the coffee shop before school starts. It's not that hard, guys. Being an example has never been complicated. Listen, listen to what Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy. Listen to this. Timothy, we're told, was timid. He had some health problems. He struggled with his confidence. And here's, here's what Paul says to him. Let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Is that cool? Do you see yourself as an example? You should. If God's working in you, if the Spirit of God's working in you, you have his word. You see how Judith went to help that guy who was in trouble? She goes to the word. How do I help people? And she helped him according to what was in the book, right? It's just beautiful. And then the story goes on. Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden image, and he commands people to worship. The, the Jewish people don't do it, and so they get called out for it. And he give, he's, he's bringing the death penalty for them in this. And then look what happens in chapter 3, verse 13. Watch this. Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, bagpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who's the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's conviction. That's character. That's courage. That's it, people. That's it right there. And, and that needs to take place in the daily things of life for us. That kind of courage. You don't get there if you don't pray. You don't get there if you don't praise. When we gather and worship like this, it's not just emotional expression. It's warfare. We are, we are getting armed with a posture of praise, worshiping God, preparing for persecution. And so we pray, we praise, we pioneer, and we persevere. And that's what they're doing here. 
And Nebuchadnezzar don't like it. Watch verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and expression in his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the fiery furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. That's a bit extra, isn't it? It didn't need to be any hotter than it was. He's trying to make a point. The, the guys who threw him in the fire ended up getting torched. It was so hot. And they were bound their cloaks and their tunics, their hats, their garments, and they were thrown in the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the three men fell bound in the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. So he gets up in the middle of the night and, and he runs and he declares to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men. Yeah, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselor gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. What in the world? Is that beautiful? Yes. Now, here's what you need to realize. We need to celebrate when God provides miraculously and victoriously for his people. But it doesn't always work out this way, does it? The history of the church has martyrs, who, including nine, uh, uh, 11 of the 12 apostles, were martyred for their faith, even though Jesus says not a hair of your head will be harmed. Now, what he meant by that was ultimately, remember we started off by saying this isn't our home. We've got a home that awaits, that will be perfect and secure and peaceful and everything we need and everything we want, but we're not home yet. Ultimately, we will never be harmed. But along the way, we're going to take some hits. Persecution is going to be part of the deal. And I want you to see that incredible line that, that is our theme verse for the week, verse 18 of chapter 3. Verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Battle of Dunkirk. Have any of you heard of the Battle of Dunkirk? Yes, much more than usual because why? The movie, right? The movie Dunkirk. It, it, it was an exploratory troops that they sent into this coastal city of France right near Belgium. They sent in 350 guys, the British Army did. And they got pinned in at the Battle of Dunkirk with no way to escape. And the Germans were coming, led by Hitler. And this is a, a famous painting of the Battle of Dunkirk. As, as they are, there's no way out of this. They're stuck on this little coastal beach. 350 troops, and the Germans are coming, and they have no way of escape. They're trapped. And the situation is dire. It will take a miracle for them to get out. And this was before the internet, and a Navy commander sent a cable message back to Britain to let them know their attitude. They were going to fight to the death 
And he sent back a three-word message. This is, this, this is a picture of the guys when they were just waiting for help to come. We have a second photo, I think, right? There it is. That's an actual photograph. Now, these aren't dead bodies. These are guys not wanting to get shelled, waiting for help to come. And they wait for help to come, and they need a miracle. And a Navy commander sent a message back to Britain to let them know what their attitude was. And it was a three-word message. You know what it was? Here's what it was. Straight out of Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. But if not... Hitler was the evil guy here, and they went to a biblical reference that the whole nation actually understood. And he said, we're not going to bow to any of Hitler's demands. We're not going to cave. We're not going to give up. And, and God can save us, but if not, we're still not giving up. Isn't that amazing? He draws from the book of Daniel. Now, and that's how biblically literate people were, and it inspired the troops. It inspired the nation. And miraculously, the German troops, for some reason, didn't invade. They paused and gave, if you saw the movie or know the story, they gave the citizens of Britain time to get in their private boats and go and help evacuate 338,000 troops from Dunkirk. Is that amazing? And I, Isn't that beautiful? It, but... I, don't you love that they go to this biblical reference of courage not to cave to an evil leader in an evil nation that's trying to take over the world? Appealing to this story of these guys. And that's what we're called to. The kind of perseverance in the midst of persecution and trials that builds us up, that strengthens us. Listen to 1 Peter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that, remember God's sovereign over these trials. God's in control of these things. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. Wonder if he had the boys in the furnace in mind when he said that. Though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And please realize that it's not all about how much faith you have. It's about who your faith is in. That's what should be so obvious in this story. It's the faithfulness of God, the strength of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the compassion of God, that he listens and he's there for you. That's the grounding of your faith. The object of your faith is more important than your faith. You can have the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus says. But if it's in God who created the heavens and the earth, it'll be sufficient. The object of your faith is everything. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're not alone, the voice on the radio was saying. And so we can say with courage for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I've been crucified with Christ. And look, guys, pushback, opposition, persecution, it's part of the deal. you got to know it. We've had a buffer in a nation that approved of Christianity for a long time, but the buffer's going away. Because listen to what the Bible says. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're a Christian, you can, you can fly under the radar. You can act like you're not a Christian. You can, like I said last night, just secularize your language. Just remove God from your worldview when you talk to people. 
And if you live for popularity, you can never be a faithful Christian. You can never be a faithful Christian. Look, look at what Jesus says in Luke. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. You're just looking for popularity. You're looking for likes. You're looking for affirmation. Is that, is that your God? You can't follow God faithfully because it's part of the deal that you're going to get pushback. But what we need to realize is Jesus actually led the way. He was the pioneer in the race. Here's what Hebrews says. Therefore, such we're, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, like these guys in this story, like believers throughout all the Bible history and all the history of the church, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And, and how do we do that most effectively? We look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus led the way. He's the pioneer. He's the one who goes ahead. And what you need to realize is I think this fourth man, we can't be sure, but I think this fourth man in the fire is a before Christmas, before the incarnation, before God took on flesh in Christ, appearance of Jesus, who's like one of the gods who's protecting them in this. Before he came to save the world, I think he shows up in this fire. I think he's the fourth man. You're not alone. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I think Jesus is ultimately the revealed mystery that the revelation of the meaning of this dream is just a foreshadowing of. I think this rock that ultimately crushes the kingdom of Babylon and all kingdoms, and this rock will reign and rule over. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the rock of our salvation, and he will cause the rising of some and the falling of others, and those who oppose Jesus, the rock will be crushed. I think all these things in this story are just foreshadowing Jesus, who he is for us. And so who are you going to be? That's the question. Who are you going to be? What, what do you believe? Does that lead to convictions? Does that lead to character? Does that lead to courage? That's the question. And to get there, you need to pray. You need to praise. You need to be willing to be a pioneer. And you need to persevere. Let me know who this girl is. That's Leah Shabiru. She's Nigerian. This is when she was 14. This photograph was taken shortly before she was kidnapped by Boko Haram, an Islamic group. She was kidnapped along with 110 other students from her Christian school in Nigeria. And there were 110 girls, Ten were, uh, five were killed during the abduction. And they got him, and they said, you all need to convert to Islam. And of the 105, 104 did. And they went back to their families. Except for Leah. Leah wouldn't deny Jesus. She wouldn't change the God she worshipped and served and loved. And so Leah spent her 15th birthday, her 16th birthday, and her 17th birthday, and now, just recently, her 18th birthday, in captivity, away from her home, for her stand for Jesus. 
She was 14 when she drew a line and said, I'm not going to bow. She's still in captivity. Government agencies are fighting for her, her release, and they won't do it because this girl won't bow to another God than the one she loves and who loved her to death. She's a hero. Guys, we don't need any more celebrities, especially Christian celebrities. But we need more heroes. And I believe God will raise up heroes from this group right here. I love your enthusiasm. I love your enthusiasm for rec. I love your enthusiasm for worship. I love your enthusiasm for listening to the word. I don't know if I've ever seen a group of young people more locked in and attentive to the preaching of the word than this group. I'm so grateful to you. I really am. And, and I know, and you in the balcony too, that's usually a place to sleep. It ain't. Yeah, check you all out. That's it. I see you. I see <laughs> That's beautiful. That's right. I, 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 you guys are locked in. I, I'd go to war with this group, let me tell you that. I would. And, and I want to encourage you to be different. Be different. Be leaders. Be people who pray and praise be people who pioneer and take the lead. Be people who persevere under persecution. And be people who keep giving the, the glory to God all along the way. Let's pray. Lord, help us now as we seek to live out tonight and tomorrow and the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. Faithful, persevering, resilient, confident, bold, dependent, prayerful, praiseful, pioneering, persevering people. Lord, help us to be who you've called us to be. Thank you for this precious group of young people. Lord, I pray you'd raise up amazing leaders among the church and in history. From this group, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.